ਵਾਹਿਗੁਰੂ ਜੀ ਕਾ ਖਾਲਸਾ ਵਾਹਿਗੁਰੂ ਜੀ ਕੀ ਫਤਿਹ ਵਾਹਿਗੁਰੂ ਜੀ ਕਾ ਖਾਲਸਾ ਵਾਹਿਗੁਰੂ ਜੀ ਕੀ ਫਤਿਹ ਫਤਿਹ ਨਾਓ ਰਿਗਾਰਡਿੰਗ ਟੁਡੇਸ ਐਪੀਸੋਡ ਥਿਸ ਵਾਸ ਐਕਚੁਅਲੀ ਹੈਵਲੀ ਰਿਕੁਐਸਟਡ ਐਂਡ ਥਿਸ ਵਾਸ ਸਮਥਿੰਗ ਆਸ ਐਕਚੁਅਲੀ ਏਮਿੰਗ ਟੂ ਡੂ ਮਾਇਸੈਲਫ ਹਿਸਟੋਰਿਕਲੀ ਸਪੀਕਿੰਗ ਵੀ ਹੈਵ ਅ ਹਿਸਟਰੀ ਵਿਚ ਵੀ ਆਰ ਪ੍ਰਾਊਡ ਆਫ ਥੈਟ ਯੂ ਨੋ ਵੀ ਹੈਵ ਪਰਫਾਰਮਡ ਸਰਟਨ ਫੀਟਸ we have had our own empire we have done many things which we are really proud of however what's galling is that this history is always appropriated by people who have a done nothing similar themselves and b who revamp it for their own ends for their own conflicts that seems to be true that really seems to be true now this is december we know what happened in december the um to give a short uh, rundown we have you know the siege of anandapur which has lasted for over 2 years by now guru gobind singh ji is uh, inside the fortress he's decided that because they have uh, told him to leave the moguls and the rajputs they've requested him you know they obviously sent the cow in the quran they were both united at that time and the story which is fed to us is that there was no such unity that only the muslims were responsible for what happened anyhow those two factions were united the guru knew that they were lying that they would attack him once he left the fortress at anandapur so he decided to do the next best thing which was to leave silently slip out go to the punjab and incite the peasants to rebellion do what eventually banda singh ended up doing really at the time <clears throat> however as we know nature had its own course qudrat had its own course there was a storm the family was separated uh the seats were also heavily separated so the guru the you know glorious battle fought it jump caught against impossible odds he uh witnessed his two sons dying he prepared them to die for the cause for the sikh cause which is not a nationalistic cause but a universal humanist cause a progressive cause for all of humanity would you agree well i would agree and uh, the word you used here is nationalistic and that surely has been bent that way that he only did it for india for the greater the dharma or whatever yes and, and uh, they very conveniently forget that it it wasn't just the uh, muslims who were fighting against uh, abu gurudev yes that that's right because patwant singer recounts in his uh, the sikhs he actually mentions a primary source a letter which the rajput kings wrote to aurangzeb saying well this man is a danger to our fate He's obviously a danger to your fate. Why don't we unite and crush him? Well, it, it does make sense because you have to remember that uh, all the battles could have fought before this battle, before the siege of Anandapur uh, against the uh, the Rajput kings of the Hell kingdoms, yeah? Yes, yes. Yep, yeah, and people very very conveniently forget that. Yes, and then what we have is that we have the story of the younger sahibs others. Now of course they're separated from their father, their mothers, uh their mother, sorry, they only have their own grandmother with them and they traverse Sarsa and go onwards to the other side. Now when they reach that part of um <clears throat> I guess the Punjab at the time Sarhand they're actually in the territory which is a uh, administered by the subedar of Sarhand. Now the subedar is a military governor and not a sergeant as it's interpreted today. he is a uh, imperially empowered sirhind is one of the four uh, for uh four primary uh governing parts of the mogul empire so the military governor of sirhind the subedar had a lot of power probably he was treated as a mini emperor 
And this was the same for Multan, Lahore, and Agra. And obviously in Delhi, there was the emperor himself. So you can say this is the emperor's right-hand side man, Aurangzeb's right-hand side man, sitting on the Sirhand Takht. There in his territory, a man who's sworn to destroy the Sikhs. They reach it. Initially in the morning, it's a Muslim fisherman, Kamal, who actually uh, sees them, gets them, uh, you know, a fire and dries their clothes, feeds them and keeps them in his house. Even though our history indicates that, you know, several Mughal patrols passed close by, uh, asking if, you know, if any Sikhs had been seen or Gobind Singh or his family. So this is what Kamal does. There's also a poor Muslim uh, fisherwoman who lives with him, maybe his wife, maybe his mother, and she feeds them. And they take the food from their uh, hands, the trio. Then we know that Gangu comes. Gangu takes them along to his house. And eventually what Gangu does is he sees the, uh, you know, the reward, the financial reward, which could be gained from betraying them. And that's exactly what he does. He goes to the police and dobs them in. Yep, she sold them, yep. And then in the Mughal court at the time, we obviously have the mullahs who are phonetically opposed to the Saibjadis. We have uh, Vazir Khan who's opposed to them. We also have Suchanand who's even more opposed to them, calls their father a snake and then the, you know, offspring of a snake. Yep, and uh, you also have to remember that... Uh, the how do I say uh, the word divan of the uh, of uh, Aurangzeb's court? Yes, they were largely non-Muslim. Yes, they were obviously non-Muslim. So divan was more or less a managerial position. Yeah, you could say a minister, minister of a department. Minister of the department. So it was. So if we have a subedar, the next position down is pretty much a divan. Yep. Hmm. And Devan Suchanand played a very uh, negative role in this. And Devan Todermal, who was a Sikh, as per the records found on him, but not a Amritari, he's actually made out to be something else. So these two Devans, one who actually uh, decides to go into poverty to get their uh, bodies released, the Saibjadas and Mata Gujris, and the other who straight away betrays them, Todermal, who's a Sikh, and you know, Suchanand, who decides that their father is our enemy because, you know, we're ideologically opposed to each other. Now, the problem is not that, you know, Sikhs are uh, seeking some sort of uh, revenge or, you know, they're demanding repercussions or whatever on what happened back then. That's not how the Gurus, you know, made us. We are to be progressive and we are to proceed forwards. Those events in our history contain very profound lessons for us. Lesson number one for me, the foremost lesson is that we Sikhs have our own culture, the Nanak Shahi culture, which is derived from the Guru Granth. And that's the culture which the Saib Jadis fought and died for. Yep, the mission of Guru Nanak that has to be carried forward. The mission of Guru Nanak that has to be carried forward, and we as a Panth were entrusted with that mission. That's why we are, you know, mentioned as being Guru Panth Khalsa, that we have the same mandate as the Gurus, the same autonomy, the same freedom of choice, and that's what we need to exercise. That's another thing we haven't done that in the past 200 years. Hold on, no, we haven't. <laughs> 
Now, obviously, what's happening today is we know we have the farmers' protests in India, and uh, there are these uh, things which are being uh, sent across social media, proliferating across that, you know, to support the farmers and the side judges, we're going to sleep on the floor for December. Now, this would only make sense to me. I mean, number one, it's just, to me, it seems to be an egoistical uh, trip, really, to, you know, feed our own egos. We are going to be doing that, to show off that, you know, our Sikhi is better than your Sikhi. Somewhere in the subliminal mind, that's what's being implied. Our Sikhi is better than your Sikhi. That's why we sleep on the floors in December. There's also uh, another point behind this. Hmm. It's extremely difficult to follow the path of Saibzadis, yeah? Or the, or the Sikh Gurus, yeah? Yes, it is. But, I mean, yep. yeah, but, but sleeping on the floor is easy. So they'll take the easy way out. Yes, it is. I mean, how many of these individuals who are sleeping on the floor today will be ready to sleep on the floor tomorrow if they're fighting for their very existence or for their, uh, you know, beliefs? And you, you uh, uh, somebody made a joke, and I think I should uh, mention it here that uh, you sleep uh, on the floor in the memory of Sabza this year, who were in, in the at the in the depth of winter, forced to live in the cold portion, the thanda portion. Yes. <clears throat> and I say, uh, are you going to commemorate the Shidi of Panjim Pasha and sit on a hot plate in the summers too? <laughs> said, no, 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 no. That's too much. Uh, That's hard. Yeah, get someone into cowhides during the summer. No, 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 no. Mm-hmm. The self-mortification is dismissed in Gurbani. I mean, all this is actually dismissed in Gurbani. Now, what would make sense to me is that, you know, they say that, you know, we spot the farmers in India. We're going to start sleeping on the floors from December until that uh, issue in India is resolved. That would make more sense to me. But what I'm really seeing is that, uh, you know, because they eat pizzas to show solidarity with them, we are going to eat pizzas as well. Well, uh, the point is that uh, do the farmers need solidarity? Or do, the, do the farmers need a pragmatic process to solve the issues? Mm-hmm. Pragmatic process. Everyone should be thinking up what's the problem, why these yeah. problems so, are occurring. So the, pragmat- the, 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 yeah, the pragmatic process involves making a plan. It involves being able to talk it involves being able to understand what's happening around you. Hmm. So thinking is hard. Doing something physically is easy. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah, you got a point. Strong point. So uh, if you compare that, uh, just uh, swearing at Modi and uh, yelling some slogans is very easy, yeah? Yes. But then you then you gotta figure out okay what do we do now? These these are the laws. They are clearly not in our favor. They are clearly going to harm us. How do we resolve this issue? Mm-hmm. You know, as we were talking about revolutions a while back, there's actually also a theory that uh, you know re- leading a revolution for a revolution's sake is just chaotic. That's what we see in South America. You know, some uh, government was elected, they brought in laws which no one liked, uh, you know, revolution, 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 until, you know, people became so sensitized to it that now even the international media doesn't uh, report it. But it seems that every few days, if you watch that part of the world, 
there is a revolution where one guy is overthrown and bought, you know, uh, replaced with another more incompetent person. And then that person is overthrown after a few hours and it just keeps on going, going and going. But the original uh, problems are never resolved. Rather, they're actually compounded, made much worse. Well, that is true. And it's, it's the same in Africa, too. Mm-hmm. But then you look at the Sikh, um, I guess the Sikh side of things, they'll look at it this way. That Jumevari just bad thing. If we so show passion and sleep on the floors, yeah, fine. If some people want to do it, that's their um, issue. But we should also have that sense of responsibility and realize what they died for and that we need to bring that vision to fruition. Well, it, 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 we need to, but, need to. but uh, as we have discussed, that's hard. Do you think anybody is going to give up their dreams of uh, going to move to Canada or America or whatever mm. and going to just uh, work on fulfilling the missions of a guru? Mm. No? Mm-hmm. No? They say, okay, I have done my part. I have slept on the floor. I'm a good Sikh now. So uh, you do your part. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that's, that's, you've got a strong point. You've got a really strong point down there that it's only an ego trip organized every December pretty much. Uh, not just ego trip. There's no shortage of people who are so emotionally attached to uh, the word we use, Sharda, that, that they could do anything, yeah? Mm-hmm. Yes, you have a point. You have a strong point. Yeah, and also the, the, there's a thing that the who, people who, who walk to the Gurdwari, oh, well, could be a hundred hundred kilometers away. Yes, Even yes. though we, today we have all all kind all sort of means of transport, they still choose to walk because they have that that sharda. Hmm. If it's primarily for exercising, yeah, that's all fine. But when you're actually doing it to show off like that, well, then yeah, Ooh, there are issues down there. And also, uh, I think uh, you will know this better than me. There are people who who still try to live in the old days, like like uh, there was. They would use just uh, a certain metal or a certain alloy, and uh, they refuse to use modern technology. Yes, yes, very strong point down there. Uh, pseudoscience has used to argue that uh, individuals who use these particular metals live longer than individuals who don't. Uh, metals and colors as well, if I might say. Yep, and then you see those same people in buses and cars, and you're wondering, hey, what the hell, you're supposed to be on horses? <laughs> Well, not just that, they would, they would pull out an iPhone to, to take a selfie. It's like, yep, that's so 18th century, an iPhone. An iPhone, yep. And I guess the issue down here is regarding the Sahib Jadis, regarding the Shiki, how it's been misappropriated is that uh, I actually saw a video online that um, an individual who's a doctor, highly qualified, surgeon, uh, he's actually uh, quite experienced, 16 to 17 years of experience in uh, neurosurgery, ne- neurosurgery. Yep. Uh, leading world expert, his uh, papers are, you know, published in journals. This, this is actually an individual who's achieved quite a lot in his life. He was a prodigy, that's how he was seen as being once, and uh, quite a lot of his operations have been successful. There's a you know, about 80% rate anyway today in medical science, but this man's actually, you know, pushed the boundaries. And uh, up till a few years back, he was uh, contributing quite a lot of material to, you know, global scientific institutes, uh, reputed institutes, uh, you know, paving the way forward for, uh, 
neurological advances because the brain is one of those things which we I guess which we will understand but only in a few steps there won't be a milestone as a, oh yeah we understand how the human brain operates fully bang we will keep on proceeding in small steps and uh, intelligence being infinite I guess we will always be you know one step behind the brain itself however uh, this individual actually uh, put up a video and he's actually uh, talking about the side judges you know martyrdom uh, Baba Jeet Singh, Jujar Singh, Zoravar Singh, Fateh Singh uh, recounts a bit of a history. Uh, the history isn't really um, anything which we can say is, you know, 100% authentic. It's the usual, you know, that, uh, you know, Guru Gobind Singh was a patriot, uh, you know, nationalist. We had a nation state, blah, blah, blah. And then it becomes I'm sleeping on the floors because, you know, the Saib Jadis in memory of the Saib Jadis who were uh, slain by a particular community. And uh, it was further uh, mentioned that this community is still in existence and still causing problems. And we need to take a lesson from the Saib Jadis and, uh, you know, confront this community. Now, look, we don't have any problems with whatever sentiments they have, but yeah, fine then. If you're saying that, you know, if you're recounting false history, we will have a problem. But when you're red-pilling an entire community by misappropriating the, you know, sacrifice and glossing over its, you know, universal um, implications, that's when we seriously need to speak up and say, hey, that's not what they died for. They died for this. So why are you, you know, making this into a confrontation when it was a more a resolution? Uh, I would like to make a point here. Hmm. How far is Rajasthan from Punjab? Mm, I don't know. I'm honest, but quite a lot. Let's say 200 kilometers. Let's say, well, the state of Rajasthan in, in India borders Punjab, the Ferozpur of uh, Batinda side, and that, that, that part of the state. Yeah? Okay. Yep. yep. L let's say from Anandapur Sahib. To Rajasthan, let's say 200 kilometers, could be more, could be 250, could be 300. Let's just just say that 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 distance is not way too much compared to how much Guru Sahib had traveled across the world. Yeah. Yes. Did our Guru Sahibs, well, although they traveled through through that area, did they stop the bad cultural practices that the people had over there? Hmm. And I, I like to believe that those cultural practices were, were still being practiced in Punjab at that time, including uh, the uh, infanticide of young uh, newborn girls. Yes. And uh, the the sati practice. Yes. So they were still being practiced. And did Guru Sahib did anything actively to stop them? Yes. Uh, are we talking in the context of Guru Gobind Singh? Yep, Guru, Guru, Guru Gobind Singh or Guru Tegh Bahadur. Yes, there were many missions established that themselves visited areas and they, uh, I guess the way for them was that they would actually get, you know, Sikhs who were actually, you know, steeped in Sikh lore, were perfect Guru Sikhs and send groups of them abroad to settle in these areas and uh, change the people's demeanor, change their mentality through, you know, logic and rationality. And at the same time, these were Sikhs trained in the arts of combat. So in case these people turned on them, they would be able to defend themselves. True. Now, now my point here is, 
Guru Sahib did not intervene in their way of life. They just tried to have a, have an argument, have a dialogue. Yeah. Yes, convince you know a majority through rational rather than impose on them. <clears throat> so you preach them that you have the option to change your way of life and you have the option to join us as a Sikh nation. Yes. So why would a person or, or a person or two people in this case who belong to this, this certain ideology of Sikhi, why would they just choose an, a, another ideology, let's say Islam, as an enemy and fight against it? Because, I mean, if you look at it from the Sikh perspective, from Gurbani, Islam's Sharia, uh, you know, Hinduism's caste, Christianity's, you know, believer, non-believer, all these systems are pretty much the one and the same in our eyes. Uh, well, I would say that uh, the Sharia thing could have been the most dangerous at that moment because it, it was backed by the state power. Because speaking ideologically, all three retard the, you know, individual's intellect. They prevent them from using, you know, their, the individual from utilizing their, uh, you know, cognition, their intellect, their uh, intelligence to progress further in life. Well, it, it does. And you, you also have to remember that uh, uh, the Abrahamic faith uh, to begin with uh, are just between, we believe this, you you don't believe this, so therefore you are inferior to us and you are destined for eternal hellfire. All three Abrahamic fights, the primary one, yeah. Mm -hmm. And in the so, Indian context, we had the system of caste, you know, that it was a controlling mechanism, but justified on the grounds that, you know, there are some 8.4 million lives you come through and uh, you must have done bad stuff in those lives to be, you know, reborn as poor or maybe you had an accident and... Uh, that's from your past life karma. So real, real, what that what that system was was more watertight than the Abrahamic ones. Well, you have to agree that that's the perfect form of slavery. Not even a single person in chain, and because, entire communities numbering in millions just enslaved, and they were happy to be enslaved because it prevented mental rebellion, mental revolution. Yeah, they were mentally enslaved. Yep, and that's why they couldn't speak up until Guru Nanak came along and spoke up. Yep, that is true. And uh, you also, also have to remember, for our listeners, you, you have to remember that if you, if you, have, if you tell somebody that uh, you were born this way or you're born into this caste because you have done terrible things in your previous life and this life is the punishment for it, so you got to do what you got to do in this life so in the next life you will, you will be born as, as something better. <laughs> Man, perfect slavery. Perfect. Wow. Perfect Just slavery. wow. Whoever whoever thought up this system, I mean, you've got to give it to him. If that individual or that those individuals were alive today, you can just about imagine they would be ruling the world, the entire world, literally. I don't have to put chains around you. I don't have to beat you every day. I don't have to put you in a single place. No. Don't, don't have to put you in prison now. I've no, just no, yeah, yep. just just preached to you that this is the way life is. Believe yep. me, because I'm superior to you and I know it. Hmm. So you, you got to fulfill the duties which have been assigned to this particular caste, and this is how you will free yourself. 
in the next life. <laughs> Essentially, you're a slave, but you don't know you're a slave. You have no right to know you're a slave. That's what that system is. Ah, oh, man. And uh, I like to believe that it's still going on in some parts of the country. It India. is. It is. You're seeing it. Now, these individuals who appropriate Sikhi for their own purposes, you know, to sort of argue that Sikhs are only a sword arm or a military force or something. We need to remember that if we stick to the truth, we can see that the reality is something else. That's very, very different. Very different. Uh, now, you know, Gani Khan, Nabi Khan, Pir, Buddha Shah and his sons, we can't forget them as well. We can't forget the 10 to, uh, you know, 30,000 Muslims who joined Banda Singh Bahadur as well for a better future. The peasantry in Punjab, by the era of the missiles, Nuab Kapoor Singh had performed such feats that they were all rising up for the Sikhs. Each, you know, low caste Hindu and Muslim in the Punjab were for the Sikhs. They wanted a Sikh-led state. Uh, yes, a Sikh-led state, a Sikh-led republic. And this was with the support of all of them that the Sikhs became rulers. True. So... Today, to sort of set this uh, binary up, which never existed historically, is pretty, uh, I guess it has a malicious intent behind it. Would you agree? Uh, well, malicious is an understatement. Hmm, hmm, hmm. And uh, <clears throat> it's, it's, it's just hijacking somebody else's history to suit your agenda. Hmm, hmm. Because... If you look at it, now, the historical books which uh, misappropriate that aspect of our history, I've read those books myself. And they, you know, when you write, there are certain parameters within which you write to make yourself, you know, comprehensive rather than sound like an idiot. And your readers reflect your um, what you read and how um, you write pretty much yourself. They pretty much reflect all that. You know, your audience in a way reflects you and you reflect your audience now in these uh, i guess i wouldn't call them books or textbooks i'd call them novellas novellas okay yep these novellas when they start now you know Sikh history books they mentioned that baba you know sort of singh was uh, seven years old and uh, baba fateh singh was you know five years old very young adolescents and they were killed for their faith end of story we we concluded right there these other books they sort of play up the adolescent part more than anything else that you know they had such cheeks they had such faces they had such hands they were so innocent make up fictional stories about them playing in the garden and the guru coming to you know talk with them you know it gets to an emotional passionate level and then it suddenly comes down to, you know, saying that our so-and-so ideology has that, you know, killing kids is justified. So-and-so people believe that killing kids is justified. And then, bang, that's why they killed them. And, you know, it ignites a, ignites a ref in your heart. Except it's all done cleverly by design, by, you know, misappropriating and misreiterating facts rather than, you know, relating the truth. Because 
none of these books which I've come across mention the role of Sher Muhammad Khan of Mler Kotla, who actually, you know, raised a voice for them. Yep, the person who is advocating that uh, these two are the sons of a snake and they should be given the same treatment was uh, an infidel and the person who is who declared that this is unjust was uh, uh, well, uh, let's say a forced con convert. Mm -hmm. A believer? <laughs> well, no, the, the word they, they use today is a forced convert, that your ancestors were forced to convert. <laughs> However, what we have is the fact that there was a voice raised at that time. There was a voice raised, and that voice raised was from a Muslim, Sher Muhammad Khan of Mler Kotla. Mm -hmm. And that's why even today, Mler Kotla has that history, because uh, my grandfather was telling me that I was reading in uh, Ishtar, uh, Punjab, partitioned, bloodied, and cleansed, I think that's what it's called. I read it a few years back, that um, during partition, you know, when... Uh, the murders were transpiring, the holocaust was going on, I'll call it a holocaust. Whenever a Muslim ran over the line between Mler Kotla and the rest of the Punjab, the Sikhs would just stop pursuing them right there. And would turn yep, true. That true. You know, our guru has uh, had a meeting with, uh, you know, Sher uh, Muhammad Khan, and Sher Muhammad Khan gave the guru a very distinct kanda, which the guru gave back to him and said, well, keep it as a sign of peace between us. That's another thing that Sher Muhammad Khan was forewarned by the Guru that, you know, your mission in life should be to confront injustice and, you know, tyranny. And uh, in a way, he failed to do that, and he was ultimately killed at the hands of Banda Singh Bahadur. But for a while, Sher Muhammad Khan was actually an individual who stood up for the Saib Jadis, and for that very reason alone, even today, Maler Kotla has that distinctive feel to it of, you know, religious harmony down there where Sikhs and Muslims coexist. Uh, yep, uh, they coexist, yeah. And that's never related in these books. No, no. Uh, there, is, there is absolutely no mention in uh, whatever you see on YouTube or whatever you read in the, in the publications. There's no, no mention of the presence of Muslim forces uh, in, in the Khalsa army. Mm -hmm. And there's no mention of the presence of Muslim bodyguards of Guru Gobind Singh. Yes, yes, that's right. And then we come to other aspects of Sikh history. Now, you know, I guess after the missiles, when the Khalsa became so prominent in the Punjab, many people entered Sikhi, who were only there for their own gain. But they happened to be from communities who had uh, retained education as a prerogative for themselves for centuries. Unfortunately, the Sikh rulers at the time never paid attention to, you know, growing a Sikh intellectual class, a Sikh bureaucracy. These individuals took over and started supplanting real Sikh history with their own, uh, you know, what would you call these texts? Give me a good, you know, description for the texts which actually emerged from their hands. Well, uh... They played the long game. Yep. They well, it was easily observable that uh, the Sikhs are busy trying to build a state or trying to hold on to the political and military power. And uh, on the side of the religion, the uh, the uh, the people as followers of Sikhi, they ha they have kind of lost their way. Hmm. But that was the per perfect perfect time. This chaos, this anarchy, the, the perfect time. For them to concoct a few texts, seek historical texts on, on 
on the claims that we are trying to conserve Sikh history and everything. Mm-hmm. And uh, let's say 50 or 60% of it might be right. We don't know. Mm-hmm. But you just need a little bit. You just need to make one change and the entire context changes, yeah? Yes, 100%. You only need to omit one detail or fabricate one detail and that's pretty much it. You alter the and, entire um, uh, yeah, yeah. continuity. And these so-called sakit, you just need to add or remove a single sentence from it to, to fully change it. You fully change the context, you fully change the narrative. Mm. I was really and uh, yeah. there is this thing that... Uh, there have been there have been excessive praise of our Sikh gurus. Yes. Let, listen to it very carefully. Excessive yes. praise. By that I mean is that they they are trying to praise the gurus, but they are praising them with an agenda. Yes. Yes. <clears throat> there was an example. Uh, uh, I think a lot of people still believe it today that that Guru Gobind Singh had uh, his 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 arrows were tipped with gold. Hmm, I've heard that. I've heard that. And uh, that uh, if 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 the person if the enemy died, that gold could pay for his funeral, and if he didn't die, that gold could pay for his treatment. Hmm. And I was thought, what what about those killed by a spear, a sword, or arrows of other Sikhs? Hmm, hmm, hmm. <laughs> yeah, you. Oh no, you are insulting Guru. You you don't believe it? How dare you? Yep. Yeah. Well, well, I said, well, why would Guru Sahib do that? What's so special with his own arrows when he has set the example that I, uh, I am uh, uh, he baptized five Sikhs and he made himself equal to them mm-hmm. by getting baptized from them. That's right. So there's no difference in the in the stature of the Sikhs of that time, and Guru Sahib. Mm. So why would he choose to have gold on his own arrows only? That's quite a crucial point you raised because I was reading a book recently, um, the same one by Gyani Bachitan Singh Advocate, the one which uh, was published when the Pashora Singh issue unit blew up in the 90s, that false uh, manuscript they fabricated, MS 1245. And in it, um, they do recount several scholars, uh, you know, with the foremost being Professor Gurtad saying that a majority of these Sakis, even if we don't adjudge them through Gurbani, because when we say we want to adjudge them through Gurbani, people point us out as fanatics. But there was one Saki in particular which was relied upon to justify the existence of 1245. Ironically enough, the Shabads inside that Saki, which were uh, said to be written by Guru Nanak, were actually written by Guru Amardas. And these Sakis get minor details wrong, but these, you know, wrong details or fabricated details significantly alter the entire uh, theme of the Saki. Now, no one's saying that these Saki should be burnt, that, you know, a massive book burning regime should be started straight away. But, you know, if we have these false Sakis, we have issues with our history, we need to sit down and appropriately correct them rather than sacrificing the, uh, I guess, uh, defying the past, that's what I'd like to say, rather than worshipping the past as it is, because then we commit the same blunders as we did in the past. Now, currently speaking, 
how many Sikh authors do you know of who are of the same mental capability as the historians in the USA who daily, you know, analyze the doings of Washington and Lincoln? How many do you know like that who can write history impartially and, you know, disattached from it? Well, I don't know anybody. No. And rather, what's happening is that we're relying on texts written, you know, a long time ago, and these texts are being reproduced, uh, reproduced today. The foremost text in my mind, as you were saying about the agenda thing, was that, uh, have you read Sahib Kamal by Lala Dolatra? Uh, I haven't fully, I would say. Yep. Now, tragically enough, this book actually used to be given out in Amrit Sanskars, Amrit Sanchars. Okay, I didn't knew that. Yep, and the practice was discontinued after a time. Now, Lala Dolatrai was from Arya Samaj, and he was from uh, he was from one of those schools of the Arya Samaj, which wanted to, you know, sort of patch up with the Sangh Sabha at Lahore, because initially, the Sangh Sabha members and Arya Samaj were pretty much all united in their efforts to uh, confront the British uh, missionaries, the evangelists who were coming into the Punjab. Now, the split that really happened was that uh, when Shardaram Philori made those derogatory statements about Sikhi Sikh Gurus and the Guru Granth Sahib then uh, Guru Ka Bagh, and then there was a further split when uh, the Amritsar Singh Sabha decided that it wanted to proceed the Sanatan course, and Professor Gurmukh Singh and Gandhi Dev Singh decided they wanted to be purists dedicated solely to the Guru Granth Sahib. This, this was the split between them. Now, we know yep. that for the rest of the 1800s into the 1900s, the Arya Smaj, the Singh Sabha, the British missionaries, everyone was involved in this massive war of the words, even physical confrontations with each other uh, to defend their religion and sort of mitigate the others. Now, the most successful out of them was obviously the Singh Sabha at the time under Professor Gurmukh Singh. But, and this seems to have been an agenda, the Arya Smaj leadership at the time, the one which uh, Lala Dolatrai belonged to, they decided that they wanted to make peace, and this book was published, Saibek Kamal Guru Gobind Singh. Now, this book might have a few historic merits, given that it mentions a few correct dates. Otherwise, this book is just emotional riffraff. Guru Gobind Singh, he did this for the nation, he did that, we are ungrateful, we are like this, we are like that. And altogether, the entire mission of Guru Gobind Singh is reinterpreted in an anti-Islamic lens. Uh, yeah, that is true, and that's the way. And uh, we also, a uh, side note, we also have to remember that there has to be a very, very particular reason that RSMH focused on Punjab, not on UP, not on Bihar, not on Maharashtra, or, or any other state. Hmm. And I'm also reading another book. It's in Gurmukhiya by, uh, it's edited by Ajmer Singh. It's about the Gadari Babe. No, Gadri. Yeah, Gadri. Oh, well, <laughs> yes, I apologize for that. Gadri Babe. Gadari means a fighter. Yep. And this book is uh, actually a compendium. It's an omnibus of several essays in Gurmukhi exploring how the Gadda, uh, you know, the movement was, you know, sort of mitigated and misinterpreted by Bhagat Singh Dilga and the Parthi Kisan, um, Kirti Kisan Union, I think I don't know the name, Kirti Union or whichever one existed during those times. And they pretty much brought in the communist aspects and sort of just changed the whole history after uh, Baba Gurmukh Singh Lalto died because he was the last surviving member of that uh, group who knew the truth 
after his death, the entire history was rewarped. And this uh, rewriting of history continued over a 30-year period. That's why today, 30 years later, people believe that they were communists and not Sikhs. Yep, cultural appropriation, I would say. And this cultural, historical, even religious misappropriation and not appropriation, misappropriation needs to be something which we need to study and defend ourselves against. And I guess almost two to three centuries later, the Native Americans, the Maori, the Aborigines in Australia, these indigenous people are actually rising up to reclaim their culture. Yep, massively, massively, I would say, yeah. And and the context is more in the Native American case, because if you look at them, you know, the eagle uh, headdress, uh, the names, I guess, like, if you look at it all over the world, their identity was globalized by lying to them that, you know, it would help you save it. But now everyone has their own interpretation or misinterpretation of who they are as a people. Uh, well, uh, since both you and I are from New Zealand, yep. we can understand, uh, well, we have some knowledge of the Maori experience. Yes. Because in this unique context, the British were unable to defeat the Maori, and they, de they defeated them through, through a treaty. Yes, yes. And, uh, okay, so the Maoris, let's say, they lost their land, they lost their language, they lost their culture and everything, yeah? Yes. And uh, dare I say, I don't believe there is a pure Maori left. Mm, debatable from the Maori perspective. Be because I do remember talking to a Maori and uh, he, he mentioned that the vast majority of his family is of European descent, but he identifies as Maori. And he mm -hmm. says, it's the same everywhere, there's no pure Maori left. And that was the first time I said, well, there's no pure Maori left. He said, no. Mm -hmm. Maori guy told me that. Yes. Enough, like, fair enough, but uh, you, you have Maori blood in you and you are in your own land, so you have a chance to preserve your, your heritage and your culture. And they have done an excellent job. They have done an excellent job. You know, because what the Maori leadership did, the you know indigenous leadership did, was that uh, the Native Americans initially tried fighting off the you know globalization effect, the misappropriation of the identity. The Mary went along with the flow and uh, inculcated strong values in their children. They taught them the truth. These children went out into the world. Some became graphic designers. Others became comic book artists. Others became, uh, you know, TV directors, film directors. And today, the Mary culture is significantly, you know, not as globalized as before. Because we have, you know, they're pretty prominent in Hollywood. Oh, what? Yep, that's true. Yep, and uh, I think you should must remember that a few years back they had a movie called The Deadlands. Dead, Deadlands. Yep, The Deadlands. Okay. Uh, young Mary Warrior, his uh, village is wiped out. His father is chief. He's killed by an opposing tribe, and this warrior travels, uh, you know, through the misty mountains of New Zealand to find a. This film is set in a pre-colonial period, anyhow. So. And they are actually speaking in Mary, and you're getting the subtitles at the bottom. So he actually travels and uh, discovers a, you know, legendary Mary warrior who's still alive, who teaches him. And these two then go on to uh, take on that tribe. It's all done in quite a beautiful context of, uh, you know, 
contemporary Mary uh, politics and beliefs. And this film was a big hit because it showed a reality far more different than what people were used to of the, you know, dumb tribal made smart by the white men. Yep, uh, there is uh, this, uh, the word, the, the noble savage, yes, that doesn't exist. Yep, the noble savage. And um, in the Native American context, I uh, have a friend and she's a lawyer down there in Canada. She's actually from uh, one of their Native American tribes. And, well, first Nations here, they call them in Canada. Yep. And she was telling me that, you know, when they tried fighting against the cultural appropriation thing, they, they had the idea that maybe we should do it like the Mary, but they decided, no, New Zealand is different from Canada. So they had a court case pending on some tribal land, and she went to the court. And, you know, here's a judge. This judge has actually served in their Supreme Court. He's actually written, you know, books on legal matters. He's globally renowned for his uh, grasp of the law. And this judge actually turns around and asks her, oh, wait a second, did you people have a concept of property back then? Because I thought you guys lived uh, freely without any boundaries in uh, harmony with nature. Oh, man. Yeah. They use all kind of tricks available at their disposal. Yep. And this wasn't the judge speaking personally this was probably centuries of cultural misappropriation fed to kids in school speaking there is actually uh some weight to it i would say mm -hmm. that, uh, uh, well it's a clever way to change who you are because when other people are telling your history to the world they are not exactly going to be 100% honest, yeah? Yes, that's right. And you need to develop historians who retell history as the, you know, world favors being told history. I mean, look, can we really take a book like the Shri Gurpant Prakash and sell it to the, you know, non-Sikh audience today? They will probably laugh at us. Well, they well, might not laugh at us in the face, but... Uh... It will present a totally false image of us in their minds, and that's very dangerous. Yep, and then if you take another, uh, you know, someone like Dr. Gandasing, a historian like Dr. Gandasing, Balvant Singh Tillo, or someone else who writes, you know, comprehensive history, uh, you know, removed from the emotions, or Sarjeet Singh Gandhi history backed up by facts, that's a different matter altogether. That's a different matter altogether. Uh, Okay, uh, I have a small question for you. Yep. How are we going to shake off this belief that uh, Gurus have made Khalsa to protect the Sanatana Dharma from uh, Islamic invaders? Okay, so first thing first down here, I was getting to that. Now, of course, we've actually fed this line from a long time. Now, First thing we need to do is we need to go to Gurbani. That's what Dr. Karminder Singh Tillo always says. Go to Gurbani. Read Gurbani as Gurbani wants you to read and understand it. And spread the truth of Gurbani. Once you understand it, make others understand it so they can deduce they're different from the run-of-the-mill faiths in India and elsewhere. Well, we have to go through it. But... Uh... My question is more along the lines of what other people read. Let's say if somebody in New Zealand picks up a book and reads about us, yeah? Well, 
book that has not been published by a Sikh press well, for a Sikh publication. That will present a totally, how do we say, false image of us, at who, we, who exactly we are and what exactly was the mission of our gurus. We have many institutes which proclaim themselves to be Sikh presses, but this is the first thing. We need an impartial Sikh press targeting primarily non-Sikh readers. Hmm, good point. That's the first one, right? Secondly, they need to be targeting Sikhs with the same material, but, you know, targeting them with the truth. Uh, I'm actually speaking along the lines of what the Afro-Americans are doing in the, U in the United States today. You look at their books, very beautiful. Uh, scholarship is amazing. They actually judge the author on the merit of their writing rather than, you know, the author's, uh, I guess, retail stats, like how much they can sell. And these books relate the truth from their perspective rather than from someone else's perspective. And it's amazing what they're doing. So what I'm saying is take a page out of the Afro-American book. Uh, yep. Tell people about you, yourself. Don't let anybody else. Yes, don't do let anybody, anybody else tell about it. And uh, I guess we also need to understand that we're a community. We're a society. We have our own Nanak Shahi culture. Phrase it along that line or those lines, what you're telling people rather than along the religious lines. Because, you know, if someone approaches me today and says, oh, this is my religion, this is what we believe, this is what our history, I pretty much fall asleep 90% of the times. If it's, however, about a way of life, society, culture, you know, progression, then I'm actually quite a riveted listener. There is a chance you will learn something from other people's experience. Yeah? Yes, yes. So, so there is always a chance that other people, they might be interested and uh, interested in learning about who we are, what's our view of the world and everything. You often mm. see it on social, social media. Uh, I've seen it. Mm. Because most of the times, well, especially in the Western world, they, they know Sikhs through just, just maybe the Langar. That's it. Yep. Or World War Two. Well, the current generation, I wouldn't say they have that much interest in World War. They see what they see right in front of their eyes. You, you, you just post pictures of just see feeding these people, see feeding that that person, or see going to a particular country and feeding the people who are distressed over there and everything. Yes. So that, that's where they get introduced. Okay, these people exist. These people with bears and turbans exist. Hmm. And uh, they are doing this for humanity. Okay, wow. So that might be the first step. They say, okay, wonderful people, wonderful job. I want to know more about them. So if that person goes to, let's say, goes to the library or goes online to, to read about us, which books are available first to him or her? The, the books written exactly about what Sikhi is or the, or the interpretation of other people of Sikhi. Mm, yes, you have a valid point. And that's why we need a Sikh press who are, who's targeting these people, who's actually targeting the fact that we need to tell the truth to non-Sikhs rather than Sikhs foremost. If, if, if that person reads that the Sikhs con conquered Delhi 18 times and left it every time, they were like, these people are stupid. We need to give the valid reason that that was a mistake. <laughs> and, uh, well, well, a blunder, a historical blunder, I would say. Yep. 
Anyhow, to summarize, if anything you can take away from this is pursue Sikh history from an impartial lens, not a nationalistic, not a you know patriotic, and definitely not a conflictual lens that you know so and so is like this, so and so is like this, so we're going to celebrate this to wind people up against so and so. Do not let others relate Sikh history. Always find the truth yourself. This is for the younger Sikhs out there. Do not trust everyone, you know. Just find your own belief, find your own principles, really form your own opinions. What we have always focused on, on telling people and doing this ourselves is use your own brain first. Even if you're trying to, to show off how great our gurus were, you're trying to praise them. First, make sure that is it really a praise? Mm-hmm. I, I, I've, given the, I've given the example of uh, gold tip arrows. Yep. On the surface, it, it sounds great. Hmm. But you you got to think about it, yeah? Yes, you do. I mean, are you confirming to someone else's principle or, oh, sorry, purpose, or are you confirming to your own purpose? Two different things. <clears throat> yep, and uh, uh, you, you also got, got to remember that uh, the sticky delivered to us by our 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 parents' generation or the, our grandparents' generation, it mm. isn't exactly pure. You couldn't say that uh, <clears throat> the Sikhi after what happened in the 80s and 90s has been changed because of the state influence. No, that thing happened a long, long time ago. Mm. What we are seeing now it is ha- just a continuity. It, it, yeah, it, it happened during the missile period. It happened during the reducing uh, uh, Raj. And it, mm. it kept happening in in the 1800s, in the late 1800s, even in, in the 1900s, it, it continues. It's not a recent phenomenon. Mm-hmm. So, you, so you can't really say that whatever my, my grandfather or my grandmother said, that's 100% true because that's the unadulterated version of the key. Yes. Just because we have learned the hard way because uh, a, a lot of times I, I've heard of old people say that uh, you simply can't trust a Muslim. Yes, that's right. But then Google. Yeah, and, and yeah. I, I asked, asked them the question that the Guru Singh had Patan bodyguards. Hmm. And as far as, as far as I know, there are no Sikh Patans or there are no no Hindu Patans. Mm-hmm. I mean, Gani Khan and Nabi Khan, who made a much of a beef, they were Muslims. Yeah, and they escorted Guru Sahib out of the, let's say, encirclement and uh, into safety. Mm-hmm. Because at the end of the day, I guess Sikhi's conflict will always be with ideology. But people who renounce ideology to become humans, to become, I guess, uh, humanists, the normal human is pretty much an animal. He adopts an ideology. That ideology blinds him. Sikhi's ideology which enlightens you. Once that human is enlightened, I mean, one of the biggest things is getting out of your belief systems. Sikhi isn't unadulterated. Sikhi isn't adulterated to the degree other faiths are, so we will never understand their focus on trying to, you know, follow something pristine or virgin. But imagine the effort it must have been for Gani Khan and Nabi Khan that, you know, their faith is saying that uh, don't trust the infidel. And what they end up doing is that, you know, rather than supporting the Muslim state, which is a religious state, which by religion's rights they should be supporting, they actually go against it and make Guru Gobind Singh Ji to the beat and get him out of there, even though he isn't, you know, from their religion or their faith. True. 
I mean, imagine the conflict within them and they still, you know, chose what they believed was to be the right course of action. And it's similar with all other fates. I mean, we will probably never understand that because our fate is still pristine if we can reclaim it and we can reclaim it to the Guru Granth side. Yep, you, you, you have to remember that we actually have a golden standard. Mm. And, and these you... misappropriations, these attacks will keep on going until or unless we you know, succeed in one aspect of the mission which the Gurus entrusted to us, and that was to develop our own Nanak Shahi culture through which we can comprehend and retell our history. Yep, and uh, I'd like to make one last point. Yep. Especially for those growing up in the West. Yep. The appearance of a person has got nothing to do how good or how, how bad of a Sikh they are. Definitely. Yep. You can't say this person wears white clothes, a, a magnificent turban, a big flowing beard, and whatever he says is the ultimate truth. That's just not possible. The people yelling on, on the stages or yelling in front of the microphones, they, well, that's their business. Hmm. Yeah, well, you got to take whatever they with, with, with a little bit of salt because you are a Sikh. You have Guru Granth in front of you. You gotta discover Sikhi by yourself. You should try to do that. Because mm, mm. we have made the point that if somebody else is telling you about Sikhi, they might have their own agenda behind it. Yes. There was this thing that I've heard personally that uh, uh, Guru Gobind Singh had fifty-two poets in his in his darbar here, yeah? mm -hmm. and they asked Guru Gobind Singh that after you are gone, who will take care of us? Mm. And they say Guru Sahib said that Kalta will take care of you. Hmm. So they they just they just used Guru Sahib to tell you that you must give money to us. <laughs> yes, you're right. You're right. And nobody opposed them. Hmm. And then you said, like, "Wow, yeah, Guru Sahib so great. He saw the future coming. Wow, wow, wow." And actually, the problem here is that you have people claiming descent from those individuals, saying that now you need to take care of us. <laughs> So this is the way that uh, Sikhi and the so-called Sakis can be twisted mm -hmm. to serve a purpose. Anyhow, as we have said, and as we did this episode, we need to develop our Nanakshai culture. We need to be very uh, vigilant against who's misappropriating our history. Let's not give any ground. Let's preserve our history because that history is quite crucial in preserving our essence, our identity, and the dignity and the respect which we uh, give to the Guru Granth Sahib, and more so the dignity and respect which the Guru Granth Sahib confers on us as Gurmukhs. That's all for today. Why Guruji Ka Khalsa? Guruji Ka Khalsa. Why Guruji Ka Khalsa?